What I've observed is that many of us are exhausted, not because we are physically doing too much, but because we are doing too little of the things that bring us joy and we're often running someone else's race. This episode with Simon Alexander Ong on energy is the epitome of everything, everywhere, all at once. And we mean this in the best way ever. Truly, the single most important thing that this episode can teach you is that the greatest investment you can make is in yourself. Simon is a personal development entrepreneur, coach, and public speaker who has recently published his debut book, Energize, Make the Most of Every Moment by Penguin House. Simon writes about the art and science of energy management and share insights on how we can transform, manage, and protect our energy so that we can be our own energy CEO. Simon's work has been featured on HuffPost, Forbes, and The Guardian. In this episode, we talk to Simon about his personal metamorphosis and how he redefines success and fulfillment in his own terms, why we should think about energy management and not just time management, how tweaking our sleep habits can radically transform our day and how we can identify the most productive phases of our days and our energy drainers and blockers. Let's dive right in. Hi, this is Janice. And I'm Sarah N. And we're your hosts for Explore This, a podcast for the modern day working professional. Each week, we explore actionable insights on how you can thrive personally and professionally. Welcome, Simon, to the Explore This podcast. It's been a long time coming and we're very excited about this conversation we're having with you. Janice, Sarah, Anne, it's a pleasure and thank you so much for having me on. Well, I don't know if you remember this, Simon, but I have to say we first connected back in 2019 on LinkedIn. I remember how that happened when I first connected with you and dropped you a LinkedIn DM. You replied me with a voice message, a little spooky <laughs> initially when I first received it because it is very unconventional. But, you know, that's how I recall that you stood out to me in the midst of a connection. So very happy that we're actually bringing <laughs> you live on the podcast today. And you know what, Sarah, and I, I love that. Nearly all the connections I make on LinkedIn, I like to drop a voice note because I think it's very humanizing. It's a nice personal way to build a relationship. And of course, we we get to feel people's energy through voice. You know, if I sent you a text message, you would have to imagine the energy I put into that. But when you hear somebody's voice, you can feel what someone is about just through hearing the energy through their voice. I remember that we reconnected late last year when your book Energize was published and I'm very happy that we managed to invite you on the pod and also equally cool to find out that you're born to Malaysian parents. We spoke about that a little while ago and quite due for your trip back here, perhaps with your newborn daughter as well. <laughs> Currently, you're living in the UK where you're based and that is a place very close to home for Janice and myself, given that we both studied and pursued our law degrees there as well. <laughs> <laughs> so many things connecting us, huh? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's jump right into it, Simon. And we'd love to hear you share with our audience about the catalyst and backdrop that drove you to be on your personal journey, or I'd like to refer to it as your personal metamorphosis that brought you <laughs> on the path that you are today. I, I think one of the pivot points for me in, in my journey was the 2008 financial crisis, because up until then, my life was fairly straightforward. You know, growing up in an Asian family, it was about being the best in my class, going to a good university, getting a good job. And I was ticking all of those boxes. You know, I did well in secondary school. I got to a good university. I was studying economics at the London School of Economics here in London. 
And then I got a job in the financial services sector in the middle of 2007. So up until that point, things were, were very comfortable. And I remember telling my dad when I landed the job offer, I said to him, I'm going to work myself up the career ladder. Maybe in a few years after I get a couple of promotions, I'll evaluate where I am and decide what I want to do in the next few years of my life. Unfortunately, the company that I started with was Lehman Brothers, which collapsed into administration around 14 months after I joined as a graduate. And so while it was very painful in the moment to face the uncertainty of being in the financial industry at a time where we didn't know how many more companies would collapse as a result of this crisis. In hindsight, it was a beautiful blessing in disguise because it started the mental journey of asking myself questions such as what did success really mean to me and what sort of impact did I want to have in the world? Now, while they sound like simple questions and on the face of it, they are, they are questions many of us don't really take the time to reflect on. We tend to fall into the trap of pursuing success and progress based on metrics defined by other people. And so even though I stayed in the financial industry for nearly 10 years, so I was in and out of jobs within the financial industry until around 2016, 2017, the mental process of thinking of a way out of this industry started. Now, the reason I was thinking about a way out of the industry is that even though I was earning good money and on the outside, I looked successful, deep inside of me, I was unfulfilled. I didn't feel alive and I didn't get joy from doing the work I was doing. And I, and I felt that there was more for me. So that's really where the journey started. And then what accelerated that were the experience I got in the jobs after Lehman Brothers. I experienced burnout, overwhelm. I had to take days off work just because I was burnt out and I just needed time to reset and re-energize. And all of this just compounded to the point of commitment, the commitment to say yes to a new life, the commitment to building a path that was sustainable, that I could go, yes, you know, there's some visibility of what I could do outside of the world of banking. And then as I took those small steps, as they say, the rest is history. When I first began on this journey, I was coaching and I said to everyone in my network, I'll coach anybody that wants to be coached so I can build my experience. And as I committed to that journey and played full out, things started to happen. And I, and I attracted opportunities into my world that I could never imagine would be possible. From coaching, I started to build my presence in the speaking world. I was speaking at organizations such as Salesforce, Barclays, Adobe, EY. I was then invited to mentor and consult at various organizations. And then in 2020, just as the world went into retreat, into our homes, as the COVID pandemic swept across the planet, I landed a book deal with the world's largest publishing house, Penguin, to write my book, Energize. So that's really where it began, is what was, for many of us, a very difficult time. But as I learned, in those moments of darkness, of setback and challenge, and often failure, lies the wisdom that allows us to come back and build a better life. Mm. Thank you for sharing your journey with us, Simon. Truly inspiring to hear how you went from finance to coaching and then eventually landing a book deal. I think it's a sort of trajectory that many definitely wish to have. They might even be hoping for, you know, 
stuck in their jobs right now, but really, you know, hoping to make a change in their lives, but are unable to do so due to many reasons. But, you know, before we dive into your book, Energize, and we definitely have lots of questions up our sleeves for you, Simon, just curious to know, was there a particular turning point that actually led you to wake up and think like, okay, this world of finance, it's no longer for me and I want to turn my life around. What was that turning mm-hmm. point like if, if there was one? There were lots of small events and experiences that nudged me towards making that decision. But I think the one that really pushed me to build a way out of the financial industry was my second job of my career. So after Lehman Brothers, I went to a hedge fund and I was a junior trader. Now, again, on the outside, being a junior trader at a hedge fund sounds very glamorous, but the reality was anything but. And I remember there was one day towards Christmas where I was in the office around 6.30 in the morning, which is very early relative to many jobs that you would work in. And at the end of the working day, which didn't finish around until around eight o'clock, we had some client entertainment. And on my way to the client entertainment, which was a nightclub underground in, in central London, I texted my girlfriend at the time and I said to her, I'm going to be taking the last train home. So I'll see you later on this evening. Now, of course, once I go down into this club, I check in my codes, I put in my phone into the cloakroom and I lose reception because underground there's no phone reception. And then the drinks start flowing, the entertainment begins. And before I know it, I've just been drinking too much. And I check my watch and it's now around one, two in the morning and I've missed the last train. And so I take my coat from the cloakroom, I take my phone and I see that I've got a long list of messages and voice notes from my girlfriend because she was worried. She was expecting me home at this time and now she can't get hold of me. And I stumble into the taxi, I get home and I'm just lying there trying to explain what happened. And when I was in a more sober state after that experience, my my girlfriend and I were, were talking and I ended up opening up to her that I felt completely lost. You know, I was at a point of my life where I had imagined for so long that when I started in the world of finance, I would have this career all mapped out. This is what I would be doing. This is how I would achieve success. This is how my family would be proud of me. But now I was a complete wreck. I was trying to escape the harsh reality of where I was through drink, through, you know, watching endless episodes of television series. I was just doing anything but taking control of my future. And once I started opening up a bit about that, I realized that I had to take responsibility for where I was and where I wanted to be. And I think that was one of the big nudges to taking action outside of work. You know, I still had to work to get an income, but what I did outside of the working hours in the evenings and the weekends became a lot more intentional. So with that job, I quit that job. And I moved into another job within the financial industry because that is all I knew at the time. But I deliberately chose a job that was kinder in terms of the hours. So the hours were much more nine to five. It was a research job. So there wasn't the pressure of the financial markets. And I could actually switch off when I left the office. And that gave me the time and space I needed to really map out my life and career plan. You know, as I talk about it now, Many of us do this for our bosses, our managers, and our company. You you know, we lay out the the three-year project, 
that we're working on for our company. We lay out our goals in order to satisfy our manager or our boss. But how many of us actually stop and make time for our own life and career plan? What is important to you? Are you making the progress you want? What are the steps you know you must do, but for whatever reason you haven't done? And how are you going to commit to carrying them out? And so that's what it allowed me to do, allowed me to sit down and really start taking control of my life, to take responsibility for where I wanted to be. And I suppose this dovetails really nicely into the journey of you deciding to write a book, Energize, that we know is published <laughs> in 2021 by Penguin House. And this had Simon Sinek, which is New York Times bestseller of Start With Why, calling it the book that we need in this moment. With so many pulls and strains and stresses, Simon offers us simple steps for every one of us to energize. So a little shameless plug for your book here, but we'd love <laughs> to hear you talk about your book a little bit. How did this book come about and what inspired you to write this book? Sure. So I, I think there are a couple of reasons that I ended up writing this book. The first is my personal journey. You know, I was at this point of my life where I was completely drained and exhausted because physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, I was not where I needed to be. And so going from that point to where I am now, where I wake up every morning excited and energized by possibilities of what can be achieved, of the magic of the unknown, I wanted to really describe that journey and tap into what made that happen for me. Second, through my research and the conversations I've had with many successful leaders, entrepreneurs, and organizations, what I've discovered is that when it comes to productivity and focus, it is actually less about time management and more about energy management. Because if we focus exclusively on time management, it assumes that our energy is constant throughout the day. So you might open your calendar or your diary and you say, okay, I'm going to block out two hours this afternoon to do some exercise or to start this really important project. But you and I know that most of us, if we put something in the calendar that is important mid-afternoon, that tends to be when our energy is at its lowest. And so what's actually occurring is we're working against our body. We're working against our energy. And that's why when it comes to that time, we put it off. We say, actually, maybe tomorrow I'll do it. Maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe never. And so what I realized is that when you are time rich and energy poor, you still can't get much done. You can have all the time in the world, but if you don't have the energy, you're not going to do much. And that is why so many of us want more time, yet we waste the time that we have. However, when you're energy rich, even when you're time poor, you actually get a lot done. When you are energized and somebody says to you, we've only got two days to get this done. When you're energy rich, what happens is you go, we're going to find a way. We'll get it done. Suddenly you have the focus and attention required to make progress. So that's the second reason. And the third is, I remember when I was speaking in the early part of my journey, when I came down from stage, I would have people come up to me. And one of the things many would say was, Simon, I love the energy that you had on stage. It was so infectious. And, you know, if I could have just a small percentage of the energy that you have, I could go on and accomplish so much more. And so I really wanted to speak to that as well. How did I get to a point where I was energizing audiences to think different? 
And then through that process, I realized that the way I see energy is through four dimensions. You have the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. Now, when most of us think about energy, we default to just focusing on the physical. So when you get to a new year, you will often hear people make resolutions such as, I'm going to sign up to the gym. I'm going to go to a gym class, or I'm going to focus on my health this year. I'm going to get more rest. Now, these are the things that we can see in people. We can tell if somebody works out on a regular basis, gets enough sleep, or eats well. However, if you only focus on that to the exclusion of your mental, emotional, and spiritual energy, you're missing a whole lot of the game. And so what I've observed is that many of us are exhausted, not because we are physically doing too much, but because we are doing too little of the things that bring us joy and we're often running someone else's race. And that's where spiritual energy comes in. You know, when you are doing something that is meant for you, that allows you to express your gifts, talents, and skills, you're high on spiritual energy. But when you're doing work that goes against who you are, that does not allow you to express your innate strengths, what happens is you are low on spiritual energy and you experience that through a feeling of tension inside your body. There's this tense feeling you get inside. Mental energy is your ability to focus, the ability to tap into your creative energy, and also to understand your mindset, how you see your reality, because there is no one reality, there is only your customized reality. Because we live in the feeling of our thinking moment to moment to moment, and as a result, what we bring into our mind, we bring into our reality. And emotional energy is simply about how you relate to yourself, to others, and when things don't always go your way. Simon, you've really brought us through your thinking process as well as your motivations and drive as to what led you to write this book that you did. You have also brought your conversations about energize and making the most of our day beyond the virtual world and into the physical space all across the world. But the thing that I think we sometimes get challenged on or maybe people find it hard to grapple with or some might even have this conception that energy is this really, I, I don't even know, like it's woo-woo or it's very, you know, it's just a concept. But, you know, for you, it's something so personal and you really deep dive a lot into not just the physical energy, which we're very comfortable and we know all about, but you also speak about energy, emotional and spiritual. But, you know, share with us a little bit about how you would define energy in that space and more importantly, tying it into that fulfillment that you have experienced and, and how we should also be thinking about it. Sure. So energy for me as a concept is, is twofold. I mean, when I split energy into its four dimensions just now, the physical, the mental, the emotional, the spiritual, that's energy as a fuel. Now you need fuel in order to take action, in order to apply your learnings. You know, there's no point absorbing all the lessons and teachings if you don't have the energy to put them into action. So energy from that perspective is like fuel. From the other side, which some of us may say is a little bit more woo-woo, is the fact that we are all energetic beings. And energy from that perspective is the fact that it is a life force. Now, the best way to explain it is that it is a language that you and I can relate to, yet it has no words. So I'll give you a few examples just to illustrate this. Now, whatever culture you look into, 
they always talk about energy from this perspective, but not necessarily in the way that you would imagine. So if you look at the Maori culture, they call energy mana. If you look at the Chinese culture, they call energy chi. If you watch the Star Wars film franchise, they call energy the force. Now, whatever word or phrase we use to describe it, we're all talking about the same thing. And that is tapping into the life force that exists within us. Now, if you go even deeper, you might often refer to it as your gut or your intuition. You can't explain it, but there's just something inside of you guiding you towards a particular path. So if I take another everyday example, you might go to a networking event and there's lots of potential people that you could have a conversation with. Now, imagine two people come towards you and you are deciding who to introduce yourself to. Now, you cannot explain it, but naturally you'll be drawn to one person over the other. And often when I ask people, what drew you to that person? You, you would often say, I don't know. There was just something about him or her that attracted me to have a conversation. There was just that aura or presence or energy. So again, it's this language that has no words, but you and I can feel. Maya Angelou also alluded to this fact when she said, people will forget what you did and what you said, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And that is energy. Now, if we apply the physics definition to it, we understand that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be transferred. So energy is always in some form being transferred into one matter to another. Energy is infectious. You know, if you hang around people that have negative energy, guess what? It's not going to be long before you feel negative yourself. And the same thing occurs if you spend time with people that have positive energy. In no time, you're going to feel positively energized. And so again, it's this fact of life that is often difficult to explain in a rational way, but we can feel it. In the same way that if you asked a married couple, how did you know it was the right time to get married or to propose? I don't think you're going to have them say to you, well, we sat down and we had a checklist and we ticked the majority of the items that would mean we could get married. And so that's how we got married. There's no metric. What happens is often they will say to you, it just felt right. It just felt like this was the right time. And so when we think about energy, we all have an energy signature. And that is why it is often said that the longest journey we humans make are the inches from our heads to our hearts. And that's when we tap into our life force, because once we begin to understand ourselves and what makes us tick, not only is that when life truly begins, but that is when the journey to wisdom truly begins. Knowing yourself is where true wisdom starts. So if we can redesign the energy of our environments. What happens is that becomes infectious. That actually gives people a reason to show up and contribute to the story that we want them to contribute to. Mm. So tell us, what is one actionable way that we can develop this energy signature and make ourselves more compelling in a way? Well, I would say the first, literally the first step is to elevate your own energy, work on your own energy first. You know, often we, we focus on saying, yeah, how can I attract and influence others? Well, the thing is, you've got to work on yourself first. It's like 
one of the things I say to those in leadership positions is that if you want to lead others powerfully, it begins with leading yourself first. The first step here is to work on elevating your own energy. Now, that's why when I talk about energy in, this, in these dimensions, I always start with physical energy. Because unless you have good health, all the other stuff doesn't matter. If there's anything we've learned from the COVID pandemic, it is that without your health, you can't do anything. To the healthy person, you are going to, you know, the healthy person will have many wishes, hopes, and dreams, but the sick have only one. So the first pillar really is to look at your lifestyle. Do you have a lifestyle that is going to support the goals and vision that you're looking to create? If you don't, at some point, you're going to burn out. If you're not eating well, if you're not getting sufficient rest and sleep, if you're not moving your body, then guess what? Yes, you can put all of these other things into play, but at some point that's going to catch up with you. So the first place is to work on your own energy. Now, one of the most powerful activities I get my clients and audiences to do affects their mental and emotional energy. And it's a three-step process. And any of us can do it. And this exercise will actually have a greater impact on you if you are going through a particularly tough time at this moment. So if you're going through a tough time at this moment, whether it's personal or professional, this exercise will have a profound impact on you. The first step is to write down the name of somebody that comes into your mind that you can be grateful for. The first name that pops up in your head, put the name of that person down on paper. The second step is to write down why. Why did you choose that person? What has he or she done for you that has allowed you to become the person that you are today? And then the third step is where the magic happens. The third step requires you to pick up the phone and call that person, reading out line for line what you wrote in step two. Now, if that step is a little too uncomfortable for you, at a minimum, what you want to be doing is to drop that person a voice note. Record yourself reading out step two, send it to that person, and just notice what you notice. The key is they must hear your voice. Again, because voice carries energy. So they can feel the emotion coming through your voice. Now, once you do that, what happens is it not only benefits the recipient, but it also benefits you giving that gratitude, that form of appreciation to another human. So those are a few things that we can do immediately to elevate our own energy. There's just so much in there to unpack, Simon, that literally my brain is going like, all right, which tangent should we take this conversation? But it all means that there's just so much gold in, in this entire conversation already. So I think where I'd like to take it is on the topic of sleep. And mm. I know that you speak about this because, you know, at the end of the day, when we talk about things like sleeping, exercising, eating well, all of those touches on the different elements of the physical health, which should be our first starting point. Mm. And obviously, later we can dive into the, the mental, emotional, spiritual piece of it. But, you know, diving into the physical element of energy, let's be really honest. There are these cornerstones of habits of for really good health and a better life, right? When we talk about sleeping better, exercising more and eating well. And truth be told, these 
are not rocket science. We know these things in our head. It's very obvious. It's common sense more often than not. But at the end of the day, we recognize that knowledge is only potential power. And the true mm. and real power lies in our ability to take action. And I believe I've heard you say this before, that we should not be treating our health like a side hustle. So tell Indeed. us, why do you think most people fail or struggle to commit to these good habits, although we know that they're good for us? Well, first of all, you're right. These are not new. When it comes to the pillar of physical health, it's simple. But we as humans, we overcomplicate it. So I've seen people that say to themselves, this is the year that I'm going to focus on my health and I'm going to get fit, I'm going to get strong. And so what happens, which is very funny to watch, what happens is instead of going outdoors and just running or signing up to a gym and lifting weights and signing up to a class, what they do is they go online and then they research the best trainers I need to wear. And then they research the best kit that I need to buy. They research the best pair of headphones that I need to buy before I can go outside and run. And they research the best workout I need to do. Now, imagine if you took all of that time away and you just ran. You just went outside and just moved your feet. I mean, you would have bypassed a lot of time and enjoyed the benefits immediately. But I think the reason why we don't follow through is because we only ever see the benefits of good habits later. Whereas we see the benefits of bad habits now. You know, if I go and eat some junk food, I know that it's not good for me. But the benefit is immediate. I feel good. It feels nice to eat some junk food. Whereas if I go to the gym and I work out or I go running or I sleep early, well, I don't see the benefit of that immediately. And the benefit of that only comes down the line. And because we are impatient, we want to see results now. The reality is it does not work that way. You know, when you go to the gym for the first time and you come home and you look at the mirror, you're not going to see any change in your muscles. A few months later, you probably won't see much change either. But there will be a day when somebody will look at you and say, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. You're looking very strong, by the way. You're looking fit. You don't know when that day is. And that is why it is important to think about your vision. And then the question you want to ask yourself is, who must you become in order for that to be a reality? And to act as that person, not tomorrow, but today. Because what actually happens is, instead of that, we say to ourselves, you know, today, I'm going to do that bad habit, and the future me will make up for it. The future me will actually eat healthier and go to the gym. Well, the reality is, the future you is the you of now. Because chances are, you can do the same thing tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow. So you've got to build awareness into the trajectory that you are taking. Otherwise, you're never going to make meaningful progress of what you really want. And so it's really understanding the longer term impacts on our journey, bringing it to the present and say, well, who must have become? How can I act like that person today, right now? It's like when I made the transition from employee to entrepreneur, the first thing I had to work on was my identity. I saw myself as an entrepreneur. I saw myself as a CEO. I saw myself as an athlete. And then what happens is your habits naturally flow from that. You know, if you see yourself as an athlete and you go to the supermarket, chances are you're not going to push your trolley 
into the junk food aisle, you're going to push your trolley into the fresh fruit and veg area because you're operating from an identity that you want to prove does exist. And so those are some of the reasons I think that we tend to sabotage our progress because we're impatient, we want things now, and we don't have perspective of the macro picture. We're so focused on the micro that we forget the macro journey of what it is that we actually want. Hmm. Really good reminder on, you know, the value of delayed gratification and on on the sort of identity. This really brings to mind one of my favorite books, Atomic Habit by James Clear. And it's also left a really, you know, deep impact on me. Having the mindset of like, I'm not just someone who's trying to lose one kilo but or five kilos 10 kilos but i'm an athlete and so you align your actions according to the identity that you have so if we let's say we tie it to sleep right will the identity then be i'm someone who has a balanced and healthy lifestyle and therefore i need to make sure i'm in bed by let's say like 11 p.m every night definitely so you want to start seeing yourself as a healthy individual someone who has the energy to achieve a lot Now, once you operate from that place, you know that you're not in this just to survive. You're in this to thrive. And if you are operating on little sleep, guess what? You are not going to be in a position to put things into action. Put it in a different way. Would you be comfortable hopping into a taxi if you know your driver has only survived on two hours of sleep? Or would you be more comfortable going into a taxi if you know your driver had a full night's sleep? I know which car I would prefer to be in. And so when you realize the potential consequences of little sleep, it makes you realize just how important it is to get the rest in. And, you know, you mentioned James Clay's Atomic Habits. I think there's an extra step that we have to put in place here. It's not just about the habits and the routines, because you could be doing a habit or routine that works well now, but as you evolve and grow, that has to change. And so I think it's habits and routines plus reflection. So at different points through the journey, you want to stop and evaluate your progress. You know, how has your journey been since applying those habits? What has to change? How can you improve? How can you refine them? So it's a constant process of iteration. So we've got to be careful not just to jump into a habit and routine and stick to that forever. We want to jump into it and regularly review and reflect how they're impacting our life. And that's why personal development is a lifetime journey. There is no end. Simon Sinek calls it the infinite game. The author Dory Clark calls it the long game. We're always a work in progress. And when we treat ourselves as a work in progress, it's the greatest educational journey that we can ever be on. Mm. Absolutely. It should go beyond, you know, the short term and really having the mm. element of reflection as well, which is something I think we don't normally do on, you know, and when we're sort of autopilot basis. So that's a really good reminder, Simon. One final thing that we want to pick your brains on sleep, and you actually wrote, you know, a really actionable, insightful piece on it in your book, which is a, a sleep routine that you recommend mm. to help us sleep better and wake up feeling more energized. Would you be able to share that with our audience? So the sleep routine is basically putting into place a transition for you to finish your work and to get yourself in a position that you can then go rest. Because what actually happens with a lot of us is we work or we're on our devices or we're in the process of doing right up into the moment of sleep. And what actually occurs is that when we then go to bed, it takes us a while for the mind to calm down. 
And so that's why for many of us, it takes a long time to fall asleep because the mind is still trying to settle down into sleep mode. Whereas the steps I offer in a book, which I call three, two, one, is basically easing yourself into bed where three hours before you, you know, you stop certain activities such as eating and work two hours before you start the process of getting yourself into bed one hour before you escort all digital devices out of your room. So you're creating a transition approach for you getting into bed. Now, there's another step I share in a book, which is the step of checking into a hotel room every night. And the reason I came up with that tip is because when I asked people, when was the last time you had the most beautiful sleep you've ever had and you woke up fully rested and energized? A lot of people would talk about their holidays. You know, they went to this resort or they went to this island. They spent three weeks traveling in a country and they stayed at a wonderful hotel and they had an amazing bed and, and pillows and they, they went to the spa there. And I started to look into this a bit more and I realized the reason that they had the best sleep there. I mean, number one, they were able to disconnect from work. But two, hotel rooms are designed for you to relax. I mean, that's the whole point of a holiday, right? So in order for you to enjoy your experience at a hotel or a resort, they want you to feel relaxed. So they deliberately designed the room to be very inviting so that you want to come back to your hotel room at the end of a, of a day of sightseeing. And so if we are spending over a third of our life in bed sleeping, it makes sense to make that environment that we are sleeping in beautiful and feeling like we are checking into a hotel room every day, because then you're going to be looking forward to going to your bed and spending time easing into sleep rather than actually, I rather spend time in my living room watching Netflix. Well, Simon, I'm going to say be right back because tonight I have a three, two, one to execute the transition myself <laughs> to sleep and also to level up my bedroom game so that I'm inviting myself to a hotel bed every night. I think this tip that you have provided is very actionable and something that we can all explore to help us to feel a little bit more restful and waking up feeling even more energized because as we know, the wise words of Dr. Matt Walker, the sleep specialist, he says mm -hmm. that when sleep is abundant, our minds flourish and on the flip side when it is deficient they don't so something for all of us to think about and on that note Simon we'd love to know and you know give us the inside scoop on what is an energy management perspective that you can share with our audience to help us with identifying the most productive phases of our days our weeks and the year and more importantly how we can make the most of them so that we can become better stewards of our energy the first thing that we can do is to conduct what I call an energy audit. So at different points of your week, of your day, simply check in with yourself and say, how am I doing energetically? And break your days into parts. So it could be early morning, late morning, early afternoon, late afternoon, and then evening. And as you check in with a number, so it could be, okay, right now, I'm feeling four out of 10 in terms of my energy level. Write down an observation. Why was it a four out of 10? So it could be it's a four out of 10 because I'm feeling stressed at the moment. There's lots of deadlines coming up and that's why I'm feeling four out of 10. Maybe another point of your day, it'd be I'm feeling eight out of 10. Why is that? Because it's a Friday afternoon and I'm looking forward to what's going to happen this evening. Now, what happens is that once you collect enough data points with observations, you can then look back and then ask yourself, well, why was this moment particularly draining to me? And what can I change about that in order for it to be not as draining? So to give an example, 
when I was publishing my book, so the book was released in April, April last year, what happened is I knew ahead of time that I would need to be responsive to PR inquiries, press inquiries, and speaking opportunities to promote the book. So knowing that ahead of time, for the three months before the launch and the two months after the launch, I cleared my diary. I basically said no to any new clients outside of my existing client base because I needed that space and time to focus purely on the book. So that's how I was managing my energy. I knew that I would need more energy to reply in a timely fashion to all of these inquiries coming in. And so knowing that ahead of time, I made it easy for me to not drain and be not to feel drained and exhausted. So very often when you are working in a company or running your own business, you will know some of these things ahead of time. And so one part of this is awareness, awareness of your own energetic rhythm, awareness of what's coming up in your diary and your priorities. And then the second thing is building your routine around that. You know, if you are somebody who is a night owl or you are somebody who's a, a, a early morning person, then guess what? How can you build your routine around that? If you're working in an office where your employers have flexible working, maybe you shift your hours earlier if you're more of an early riser, or you shift your hours later if you're more of a night owl. And so just knowing these data points and insights will help you work with your body. You spoke a lot about energy drainers, and I think it's a really good approach to do the energy audit because that makes us aware of the type of activities that we're incorporating in our lives and align that with our priorities as well. But could you speak to us a bit more about energy blockers? Because I think this phenomenon of running the rat race and especially as working professionals in very highly consuming jobs, there is this phenomenon that we observe among our peers in our former workplaces where people are just exhausted, making poor decisions, and they get frustrated over the smallest things, essentially operating below their potential. So how can people identify what is blocking their energy and get around to turning that situation all around? So I think there's three things that come to mind. The first thing we've already touched on, which is your lifestyle. If your lifestyle is not in a good place, guess what? That is going to compound and that is going to affect the quality of your decisions. That is going to affect your interactions with other people. You know, you will be more emotionally reactive when you don't have enough sleep, when you're not feeling in good shape. That is going to affect the way that you communicate to others. So that's the first thing to focus on. Second is focusing on putting down on paper two lists. On one side, you write down everything that is draining you. So that could be people, things, activities, experiences, all the things that drain you right now. And then on the other side, you put down all the things that energize you. And again, the same thing, people, places, things, experiences. And the first step in this is once you've got all of that down on paper, you then ask yourself, where am I spending most of my time focusing my energy on? And now chances are, if you're not feeling particularly energized, it's probably on the list that is draining you. And so what you then want to do is think about, well, how can I do less of the things that are draining me and do more of the things that are energizing me? And what are some of the steps that you can now take to make that happen? So that's the second thing that comes to mind. Third is the reason a lot of us can feel mentally drained. So now I'm talking about mental energy is because we are focusing too much on the things that we cannot control. And that can drain our energy because when you focus on the things that you cannot control, it is very unproductive. 
you cannot make progress on something that is out of your control. And so when we go through that, that experience of focusing on the things we can't control, we get paralyzed by overthinking. We think about our thinking about our thinking and just nothing happens and it's a waste of time. So knowing and being aware of that means that we can then shift our attention to focusing on what we can control. And when we focus on what we can control, however small, we actually get empowered and energized to take action. So if you're going through you know, a difficult time or you don't think you're showing up as your best self at work, this could be a very good exercise to do. You ask yourself, well, what is on my mind right now that is out of my control and what is in my control and what within my control can I focus on? Because as you focus on the things that are in your control, guess what? More things become in your control but you have to take that first step. So on point, Simon, I think this season for many of us, myself, Janice included, you know, have really got me contemplating about the differences between what I have control over, what I have some influence over, and what are things that I have absolutely no control over and I should redirect my energy away from that. And so on that note, Simon, it's been such an incredible conversation. I feel like this conversation has gone literally into so many different areas that are so relevant. And so we'd love to end our episode with this question that we like to ask all our guests. And that is, what's one thing that you recently explored that surprised you? One thing that I recently explored that surprised me. Why well, I, I would say recently explored and also still exploring. Mm-hmm. It's this world of the metaverse. Last year, with my team, we put together one of the world's first book launches for one of the world's first book launches in the metaverse, which was an incredible moment when everybody was on the Oculus headsets or on their laptops or phones, jumping into this virtual space. I'm exploring that at the moment as well. We're looking to take Energize and building an education academy in the metaverse, in the virtual world. And the reason why it's just surprising me is because there's so much possibility. Well, you heard it first on Explore This that Simon <laughs> is launching this energy metaverse and we look forward to you know staying close to you. Simon, so where can our audience find more about the work that you do? So I'm on all the major social media platforms, but the two that I use most often are LinkedIn and Instagram. So on LinkedIn, you can search Simon Alexander Ong in the search bar and then on my face in the people section. On Instagram, my handle is at Simon Alexander O. Awesome, Simon. And what an energizing conversation this has been. Truly, truly, you know, tips that we can implement literally today, tonight, do that, you know, bedroom revamp, conduct your energy audit, so much we can all put into practice immediately. So with that, Sarah and I just want to thank you for your time and we look forward to sharing this with the rest of our audience. If you stuck around to the end of this episode, we want to say thank you for exploring with us. And if you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and most importantly, share this episode with your friends. We'd love to hear from you. So you can also connect with us on Instagram using the Instagram handle Explore This Podcast. A-C-T-S-P-L-O-R-E This Podcast. New episodes for Explore This drops every alternate Mondays at 8pm. See you then!